0: If you're not going to give out candy, amen, that'd be a real letdown. I mean, I get this is a sweeter deal, but don't be that guy. That's <laughs> kind of like not tipping, right? Don't be that guy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Amen. <laughs> All right. Man, we've been moving through the book of First Thessalonians. We left off uh right around verse eleven. And uh be real honest with you, we left off on a difficult passage there. So if you have uh, your Bible there, First Thessalonians chapter four, verse eleven. And before we head off into this thing, uh, Dad, would you ask the Lord's help in the preaching and teaching tonight? Amen. Amen. You love your Bible tonight? I'm telling you what I love the Bible, and uh, I don't. I don't know about you. Have you ever stopped and just uh, remember when the Lord began to reveal it to you? I mean, personally, I mean, there's a period of time. Like I grew up in a Christian home where um, I was. Taught right and raised right and taught to love the Lord and taught to go to church and amen. You're taught to do right, but there comes a point in your life where that book actually becomes yours. And I remember that. And uh, it's like, it's not just mom and dad's book, it's not just grandma's, but it's yours. And the Lord begins to deal with you personally on it. Man, that's the book I'm talking about. So when we preach from the Bible and uh, we preach from your Bible, Amen. I preach from my Bible. And uh, whew, it's a good book. Amen. Now look at verse 11 here. On to the divine. <laughs> now Paul says here, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business. As they say down south, business. Amen. And to work with your own hands. As we commanded you. That's so what we left off there. I believe it was uh, Sunday night, and we're in First Thessalonians 4:11. And uh, there's three things in that passage that should really speak to your heart practically. Amen. One of the reasons you study. Uh, there's there's three different reasons in the Bible that you study. One, you study so you can shut up. <laughs> Amen. Uh, now, one time in the Bible, we won't go there, but the Bible says study to answer. Amen. You say, well, this place is studied to be quiet. The other place is studied to answer. How do you know the difference? Well, you're going to have to be in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ enough to know when you're supposed to open your mouth and when you're supposed to shut it, amen? <laughs> Proverbs says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. And then he turns right around and says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. So that means you have to have that relationship with the Lord, and you and the Lord have to be like this, Right? You have to be close enough to the Lord so you can hear when the Lord's saying, okay, it's time to say something, and by the way, it's time to be quiet. So you have to learn to study to be quiet. Another reason he's telling the Thessalonians here to study is so they wouldn't be a bunch of busybodies. Amen. Study to do your own business. And like, like I'm not going to re-preach everything. I'm just trying to break the ice and fall in and go ahead and drown myself. So you all know we're, we're already cold in the scriptures here. But the whole point is you need to learn to study to be quiet and study to do your own business. Amen. And man, we live in a world that everyone wants to be up in everybody's business. Amen. We we, we ad nauseum broke that thing apart on Sunday night. And, uh, and it's, it's what it is. So. And, uh, and then you work with your own hands. Amen. You don't be a freeloader. Amen. You mean, you raise your kids to have a work ethic, and if you have it, you know, if you have a, the, you know, and if you have the opportunity, you you be a positive influence in your grandkids, and you teach them to work with their own hands. Amen. Go out and get dirty. Amen. Go out and uh, leave the gloves off. Rake without gloves for once. It won't kill you. Get some calluses. That'd be a good thing. Amen. Had some young men in this country had some calluses, they wouldn't be worried about putting cows under cotton, picking thumbs from Texan, playing games, amen, but you work with your own hands, and that just means you'd, you don't be making something off someone else deceitfully, I mean, you don't be a freeloader, we're not talking if you worked and you retired and you invested, in your, we're not talking about, we're talking about, you got to remember this is written to the Thessalonians at the uh, beginning of the early church, these are new converts, and the early church was, unfortunately, it was more communal, meaning that everyone was kind of like helping each other out. But let me tell you what, you live in a country that will feed you. You will not starve in America. You might have to figure out who you're going to (laughs) call, but they will not let you starve. There's enough benefits and there's enough things to go around for a long time. But you need to learn to work with your own hands, he's saying, and uh, get paid for your own work, amen, and uh, don't be a a freeloader, amen. Amen. And this studying to be quiet, you just have to realize, ladies and gentlemen, that when you start complaining, amen, you start griping about taxes and you start griping about the weather like we all do, amen, I, I know just a couple weeks ago we preached from Numbers chapter 11, probably the worst message i preached in eight years, weather, work, and gas prices. Here's the thing. Remember where we're at? We're in First Thessalonians 4.11, so it's talking about our testimony to the lost world. You see how you got to be careful about that thing? When you start complaining about all that stuff that you do around the lost people, especially, how about the saved brethren? too? It gets depressing for them too to hear you complain about everything. It really does. Uh, but, but when you do that, you, you, you give yourself a bad testimony. And uh, think about this. If you're in the will of God right where you're at, and gas is still 449 a gallon. What difference does it make of the circumstances if you're in the will of God? What difference does it make whether it's two 250 a gallon or five bucks a gallon? Amen. And uh, so what happens is when when you or I complain about things in our life and we claim to be in the will of God, we're acting as if God's gypped us of something, right? Why are you complaining? Well, you're acting like God shorted you or like you deserve better than what he's given you. I'm just saying that's why you got to be real careful about this whole complaining thing, this whole griping about this and I can't believe they treat me like this at work and, and these people I work with, they're just a bunch of fools and they don't, you know, they don't have brain God gave a giraffe or something. you got to be careful about that stuff because you start acting like God owes you something. See what I mean? And God hasn't given you what you think you deserve. Think about it. A Christian, sometimes as Christians, we're not even willing to pay the price for the things that we've done in the past. Yes, I get it. They're under the blood. Amen? But we're not even willing to pay for the things done in the past, but yet you won't even thank God for where He's using you now. You see how God's using you right where you're at? And we're not willing to go back for all that other stuff we did and pay for that but yet we won't even thank Him for where He's using it. I'm just saying, you got to learn to be careful about that thing. You can't constantly gripe and complain. And you got to realize, like Paul is saying, when you're doing that stuff, you're not doing it against the gas prices. You're not complaining against Walmart. You're not complaining against China. You're not complaining against... You're complaining against God. Why? You claim to be in the will of God. Say, what's the solution? Well, tell the Lord your problems. Not as fun, is it? (laughs) I must tell Jesus all of my problems. Amen. But you tell God your problems, you do your own business, and you just do everything in your power not to get in everyone else's business. That's a hard thing. Amen. And you work with your own hands. Now look at verse 12. Why? Why? That ye may walk honestly toward them that are without. Think about it. It's talking about the lost individuals, them that are without. If you know someone who's lost and you're a Christian and you know you're on your way to heaven and you're complaining about everything around you to someone who's lost and on their way to hell, I mean, why would they even want what we got? You ever stop and think why more people around you are not interested in Jesus Christ? It's not because they're all just a wicked bunch of sinners, even though they are sinners. Maybe consider it's just because they don't want what you got. It could be they don't know you enough. But maybe they've just kind of watched you, you know. They've just kind of like, I'm going to watch They They claim to be different, and I see them pray, and I see them do this, and I see them talk about this, and they're watching. You're like, yeah, <laughs> I'm not subscribing to that thing right there. And they just might not want what you have. And like I told you before, you've got to walk honestly in matters of your money. Now, this stuff is easy to preach, and it's difficult to do. But uh, in matters of your work and how you conduct yourself on the job, you have got to live above reproach on that thing. He says in verse 12, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without. It goes without saying we should walk honestly toward the brethren. Amen? You not, not to be uh, uh, fibbing and lying to the brethren and treating them. You're not supposed to defraud them. We covered that already. But Paul's now shifted gears and he's dealing with the lost people. And your testimony, your sanctification to lost people and matters of your work and how you conduct yourself on the job, it really is of utmost importance, and you've got to remember that. You're supposed to be honest in the sight of all men. So we have to pay attention to that thing, Paul says. Now here as we approach verse 13, we've gotten to what I would consider probably the hardest part of the chapter. <laughs> that's some tough stuff, and that's not easy to preach either. Amen? And it's dealing with sanctification, remember? Let's real quick review. Verses 3 to 5, that your sanctification comes in three parts. First of all, your separation toward God in verses 3 to 5, your separation toward the brethren in verses 6 to 10, and then the lost world in verses 11 to 12 there. So that's the order, and you can't get them out of order. God comes first. It's a matter of the heart. You've got to get right with God before you'll ever be right with the brethren. Amen? And then you've got to be right with the Lord and right with the brethren before you'll ever be an effective witness in this lost world. And uh, But uh, we're in verses 13 to 18 here, we're going to be covering His glorious appearing. And like we said earlier, you can't be happy about the Lord coming back. You can't be happy about His glorious appearing if you know in your heart that you're not right with Him. Have you ever just stopped in the middle of the week, and you don't have to admit this. I'll just go ahead and be the preacher and pretend like I'm the only one who ever does this thing. And in the middle of the week, and next thing you know, you're just you're kind of like off the rails just a little bit. You're not thinking about him coming back. You're not thinking about the rapture. You're not thinking about, you know, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And you're actually thinking about sticking and staying here and making things better, and that's why you're all fired up because you wish it was better down here. You're not looking for him to come back. You're looking for things to get better down here. You're looking for everything to improve. Guess what? It ain't. A friend of mine says cheer up. Getting worse. <laughs> it's just going to get worse. All right. <clears throat> you see and uh it doesn't matter what you uh you or I think. It, uh it matters what the Bible says. And uh the Bible doesn't say uh if the Bible doesn't say you're right with God, then it doesn't really matter what you or I think. Uh, you have to learn, uh, and here's, here's, here's the real key. You and I have to learn to deal personally with the Lord at the end, beginning and end of every day and uh, to find out from Him whether or not you're right with Him. Look, don't be tricked and don't be fooled because the devil may prosper you in something that you're doing that may not be the will of God. Think about it just for a second. The devil wants to do what? He wants to get you about one centimeter in front of what God wants you to do. And if he can get you ahead of what God wants you to do, why wouldn't the devil go out his way to prosper you? Why? Because the natural tendency of all of us is if we're prospering, then we must be doing something right. If my bills are paid, then I'm surely in the will of God. Well, what if the will of God is for you to live by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin? Chin? Well, that's not the... Really? I've had surplus, and I've been backwards so much I'd had to look down to look up. Were you in the will of God both times? Absolutely. I'm just saying the devil would love more than anything else to get you ahead of God and then prosper you in whatever you're doing, thinking that you're in the will of God. But you got to be willing to get a hold of the Lord and figure out from God and the Bible whether or not you're really in the will of God or not. And many times, if you're not careful, the devil will allow you to be prospered in something that maybe the Lord don't even want you to fool with. And the thing will look to you as if you're being blessed, and you'll get to thinking you are in fact blessed because you now have more material blessings than before. But you also have more payments than you did before too. (laughs) Right? I tell you, I've heard... I've been guilty of this thing before. I'm sure you haven't. But I you know, so I'll tell you what, I got the greatest deal. You know what? The greatest deal is no payment attached to that thing, ain't it? I'll tell you what. I heard people say this. Well, you know, the Lord gave me this. He did. Well, how much does it cost? Well, it's only 800 a month, but the Lord gave it to me. Oh, really? <laughs> That's a rotten deal, Lord. I mean, the Lord's given me a few things, but it didn't come with a payment. He might allow you to get something, amen. I'm not saying, look, I've got a house payment for at least one more year, praise the Lord, and uh, the one car gets paid off next month. Amen, amen. That's worth shouting about right there, even if nobody else will. Uh, But you say, did the Lord give you those? No, he allowed me, he enabled me to get it and have the work to make the payment. That's a different thing. But you got to be careful because uh, material blessings is not necessarily a sign that you're in the will of God. After all... You're a child of God. You're not looking for a sign. That Bible says the Jew requires a sign. Gentiles seek after wisdom. You're supposed to be living your life by faith, right? For we walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Now, the only way you can determine, that is if you're willing to get down with God the Bible and find out uh, whether or not you're uh, in the will of God or not, that's the only way it's going to happen. But uh, look at verse 13. We're going to get into this thing about His glorious appearing. He says, Paul says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. And we could stop there, pray, and go home, and everybody could say amen, that we shouldn't be ignorant. Amen? But he says, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. All right, so he says, don't be ignorant. Now, you've got to remember the time this thing is written, about 54 A.D., give or take a few years either way, people didn't have the completed scriptures that you and I have in our hand. Amen? And Paul's—he's—he's uh, he's teaching them. He's giving them comfort. What—what what they have right now is just a preacher. Can you imagine sitting in a pew with no Bible. That'd be tough stuff, wouldn't it? But that's what—that's that, what that early church had. And they're sitting there, and they're sitting, "All they got's a preacher." They had very, very light from the Old Testament on uh, on things uh, that happened after death. And you got to remember when you're reading this that these people didn't have a New Testament to flip through and to thumb through. And to see how the things come out. If you and I, if we want to see what comes out, you know what we do? We open the Bible. The Bible's got all the answers. We have the completed written Word of God, pure and perfect, without error. Amen. It's a source of comfort no matter where we go and where we turn. Um, but Paul, he's going to talk about—he's uh, going to talk about dead Christians, not like uh, people that are not right, but people that have passed away that were uh, believers. And the Thessalonians, believe it or not, they didn't know whether or not they'd see some of their loved ones again. So they needed some comfort on this thing. They needed some instruction. And like I said, there's very little light in the Old Testament on life after death. And like I said, there's no New Testament penned at this time. So you're dealing with a new church that's spiritual, that loves the Lord, that suffering that has problems and difficulties because they're spreading the gospel all around the community and the devil's down their throat on the thing and they're having trouble from the brethren, they're having trouble from, uh, from the outside world, and now they're concerned about seeing their loved ones again that were believers and Paul's about ready to break it down for them. So here Paul doesn't want them to be ignorant about the rapture, about life after death. And look, you've got to remember, they are not completely stupid. <laughs> they just don't have what you and I have. Uh, you have a completed Bible. Luke 12, 48, that Bible says to whom much is given, much shall be required. I understand that's just one piece of that verse and there's a lot more to that. But you ever stop and think about what you and I have been given? Sometimes I think about the heritage I have and my raising and what I've been given and the amount amount of preaching I've sat under. Man, there's got a lot required of me, a lot required of me and you as well. And all that time, all they had was a preacher and no written Bible. Let me give you something real quick here about uh, ignorant brethren in the Bible. Amen. <laughs> I'll give you just a couple things here. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, uh, first of all, 2 Corinthians, uh, I believe it's chapter 7, and verses 1 to 10. I'm sorry, nope, I have that inverted. That should be 2 Corinthians 1, verses uh, 7 to 10. Uh, Paul uh, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and here you had a church that was ignorant of God's deliverance. Ignorant of God's deliverance. You know, the Lord don't want you to be ignorant. And we use that word ignorant kind of like a condescending term, kind of like a critical term, like he's real ignorant or something like that. Uh, but it just means you don't know. That's what ignorant means. It doesn't mean stupid. It doesn't mean you're an idiot. It just means you just don't know. And uh, this Corinthian church was ignorant of God's deliverance, and they were ignorant of the truth. And Paul says, "Look, I don't want you to be ignorant about that thing." And he gives a uh, instruction about God's deliverance and the truth. And there's uh, if there's one group of individuals in 2022 that has no right to be ignorant, it's us. It's Bible believers. We claim to have the Bible. We claim to have the truth. We claim to have the inspired Word of God. There should be no reason why we're ignorant about Bible matters. Uh, God's deliverance uh, the truth and rewards. If you're here today and you've been saved at least a year, you should realize that you have the opportunity to receive rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. How about this one? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, verses one to twelve. Uh, that Corinthian church, uh, it was ignorant about uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You say so. What does Paul do? He lays it out for them. You know, sometimes we're hard on the brethren. We say, "Well, they're they're ignorant." Well, have you ever stopped and tried to help them out? I mean, if you think they're ignorant and they could benefit from how smart you are, then maybe you ought to just go help a brother out, amen? Uh, so that's 2 Corinthians 12, uh, 1 to 12. They're ignorant of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. How about this one, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 13? And here the Corinthian church was, uh, they were ignorant uh, that God punishes the sins of Christians. You know, just because you're saved doesn't mean you get a free ticket to, to do whatever you want. God punishes Christians for their evil works and their sins. Just like if you're a mom or a dad and your kids get out of line, then you, uh, you, you lovingly correct them, don't you? Amen. Uh, um, we had a, a patriotic family growing up. Amen. Amen. Um, my old man, he applied the stripes and I saw the stars. Amen. So, in other words, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, uh, this explains this. That was good, wasn't it? Amen. Uh, for you refined people, that's child abuse. Amen. <laughs> Bible says in Galatians 6, 7, you know, my parents never asked me if I wanted a whooping or not. <laughs> Would you like a whooping? You know. <laughs> I tell you what, I sure should have got a lot more than I than I got. Amen. Galatians six seven. The Bible says, "Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap." And you know what? Just because you're saved doesn't mean you get a free pass to live like the devil. But God punishes sins of Christians and He punishes evil works. And every once in a while, it's it's kind of like uh, you know raising kids. You you let your kids and you have grace with them, amen, and you let them get out their ways. But every once in a while, you just bring them back to the house and well, take him out to the woodshed, and the Lord will do that to you too. Amen. And that's what he does. Why? Because he's a good father and he loves you. All right, in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 11 to 18, that that group of Roman Christians, they were, uh, they were ignorant of uh, Paul's uh, Paul's desire to preach the gospel. They are ignorant of Paul's desire to preach the gospel. Let me tell you, the Lord calls you to preach. If you ever deals with your heart to preach, uh, you won't be content to sit there and not preach. You might have to. Amen. Lord called me to preach in 1994. I didn't even know what that meant. Uh, I didn't know anything about preaching. I'd heard a little bit of preaching growing up, but I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it entailed. I didn't know if you walked in and they waved a magic wand over you and you became a preacher. And so, uh, got out of college, came back and. After getting my head squared away, the Lord took me to the Bible Baptist Church of Lupton, sat me under a little sawed-off preacher, and began to learn the Bible verse by verse, line upon line, and began to learn about what preaching was. And, uh, but if you're a preacher, then you can't shut up about preaching. And you're not happy if you're not preaching. Like I said, you might have to. The Lord might put you in a place like Obadiah had them two groups of uh, uh, schools of the prophets there, two groups of 50 and the Lord might put you in a cave for a period of time, so you have to shut your mouth and let it brew for a while until he's ready to use you. Amen. But then like David, he picked up them five stones and went to get that giant. And that preacher is like one of them stones. Every once in a while, the Lord pulls pull one of them stones out of his pocket, and he'll send you to whoop the giant. Amen. But Paul, uh, them people in Romans chapter 1, they were ignorant of Paul's desire to preach the gospel. God calls you to do something, uh, and you know it, then you'll be unhappy if you're not doing it. And finally, last but not least, in Romans chapter 11, it's just talking about ignorant brethren in the Bible. Romans 11, 25, 28, Uh, that church there uh, that was ignorant, they were ignorant of God's purpose concerning Israel. God's purpose concerning Israel. And when you see that phrase in the Bible, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, you ought to mark that thing down because the Lord's trying to tell you something. He's trying to teach you something. And uh, this church was ignorant about God's purpose concerning Israel. And a lot of brethren are today. And they think the church has replaced Israel, which it hasn't. And they think all the promises to Israel now go to them, which they don't. Amen. And if you think that, not only are you a a heretic... (laughs) But you're ignorant, you need to learn some things about what God says concerning Israel, and that's in Romans eleven twenty-five 25 to 28. And the Lord doesn't want you to be ignorant. Amen? He wants you to know some things. And here's the thing. He's laid these things out in the Bible so that you can be taught. Amen? Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. He's where we get the doctrine for the church. Amen? You read the whole Bible. You, uh, you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, but when it comes to the doctrines of salvation, you default to Paul. Amen? That means you, you read the entire Bible through the lens of the Apostle Paul. You say, well, that makes you a hyperdispensation. No, that makes you ignorant if you think that. But what you do, salvation is by grace through faith. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. Amen? And you run the entire Bible through the lens of the Apostle Paul. You say, what will that do? That'll help you not to be ignorant. Amen. And uh, if you desire the truth, and here's where it really boils down to, friends. If you desire the truth, God will give you the truth. I know that wasn't really deep, but I want to reassure you tonight. I know just a handful of you come, and it's a blessing that you came, and I'm, I'm thankful that you came. You say, well, don't you wish more people would be here? I didn't come for you. I came to please the Lord. Is that okay to say that? I believe you came to please the Lord. You didn't come to please me, you came to please the Lord. And I came to please the Lord too. But if you're after the truth and you're willing to seek after it, Proverbs chapter 2, as for hid silver, as for hid treasure, the Lord will give you the truth. But you know what happens in the Christian life many times? We get a stomach for truth and then we get satiated with the truth and we stop wanting the truth. And so the Lord shuts the light off and we don't see anything else because we really don't want it. Now, I'm very careful how I preach this thing because I've heard preachers in the past say, well, nobody wants the truth anymore. You're here tonight. I believe you want the truth. And I believe the Lord put me as a pastor so I could give you the truth. Much of it which you already know, but it's good to be reminded. After all, the Lord has what? He's manifested His Word in these last days, Titus chapter 1, through preaching. And if you want the truth, he'll get it to you. All right, all that rant about First Thessalonians 4.13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. The Lord don't want you ignorant. And uh, although most people want to go around, they think that if they don't know the Bible, they won't be held accountable for it. But you know what? You will. You will be held accountable for what you could have known. That's called aptitude. The Lord knows your aptitude better than I do. You don't worry about what I think about you. worry about what God thinks about you. Now, he says, but I would not have you be ignorant, verse 13, concerning them which are asleep. And here Paul's talking about those that are asleep. He's talking about dead people. All right? I'll say it again. When he says concerning, he's not talking about those that got alarm set for 6 a.m., work the first shift or second shift like that. He's talking about dead people. Now, look, there's spiritual sleep in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. Ephesians chapter 5, 14, you've got spiritual sleep. Three different sleeps in the Bible. All right, Ephesians 5.14, that's spiritual. And some Christians, they're sleeping spiritually. Amen. They're saved. They, they claim to love the Lord, but man, they're out, uh, like Ernie Harwell said, they're out for excessive window shopping. I mean, the lights are on, but nobody's home. They're spiritually asleep. Paul says in Ephesians 5.14, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepeth and rise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. And uh, sometimes there's what? There's physical sleep, right? Yeah, you're, you're going to go home tonight. Some of you will go there in my message tonight. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> and you're going to go home and you're going to go to sleep. And you're going to set an alarm and you're going to only hit snooze like a dozen times, but you'll eventually get up tomorrow morning and, and go at it again. There's physical sleep. But here, this sleep in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verse 13, that's talking about death. That's what that whole passage is talking about. So there's spiritual sleep, there's physical sleep, and then there's sleep as in death. Uh, look at First uh, Thessalonians one chapter over. First Thessalonians chapter five verse ten. Reference to death. All right. Now uh, Paul says here in five ten, who died for us, talking about Jesus Christ, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. You see that? A is a reference to death in this passage. So here the sleep is not a physical sleep. It's not a spiritual sleep, but it is death. Look at Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 verse 60 you kind of seal this thing up. Acts chapter 7 and verse 16, uh, 16 of course, talking about uh, uh, Stephen here. Uh, Stephen here is the first martyr of the uh, New Testament. And uh, I'm sure you know this. But isn't it interesting the first martyr of the New Testament uh, was killed by uh, religious people. Did you get a hold of that? Uh, the first martyr of the uh, the New Testament wasn't, uh, you know, the angry mob down at Walmart. It wasn't the uh, Democrats or the Republicans in Washington. It was the religious people, the one who claimed to know God the best. I want you to see that, not because I'm... I've got an agenda, but I want you to, when you read your Bible, I want you to keep keep your eyes open. Uh, When Jesus Christ was crucified, I know it was, uh, he was crucified by the hands of the Romans, right? But the people that were responsible for crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ were the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests. I mean, the ones that claim to know God the best are the ones that put him on that cross. And... uh, well, that's a whole sermon for another time. Acts chapter seven, verse sixteen, sixty. The Bible says, talking about Stephen, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, "Lord, lay not this sin to their charge." And when he had said this, he fell asleep, and it was his body that slept. I want you to get a hold of this—not his soul. His body is what slept. Now listen, Christian. The soul is never asleep. The soul is never asleep. the soul is always awake. Look at Philippians chapter one. The soul never sleeps. That's the Jehovah Witness heresy. The soul never sleeps. The body sleeps. And if you get a hold of this thing, you won't have any trouble uh, when you have to deal or have a conversation with a Jehovah Witness or any of those uh, those fellows that think uh, they believe in soul sleep, which is heresy. All right. Now you've got Philippians uh, chapter one, verse twenty-two. And you've got to remember, the body is always what sleeps, not the soul. Philippians 1.22, the Bible says, But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Uh, not only that, but in 2 Corinthians 5.8, you know the verse, he says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And, of course, to depart it's far better, isn't it? And here, Paul has a desire to depart. Uh, for you to live with Christ today would be great gain. Would you agree? I mean, to, to drop this robe of flesh that you have, get rid of this old physical body that gives you nothing but hassle every day, and to live the rest of your life with Jesus Christ, man, that'd be all right, wouldn't it? Amen. And, uh, and in First Thessalonians four fourteen, 14, Paul starts going through some of those things and You've got to remember that Christians, uh, they didn't know much about sleep as far as death was concerned. If you remember back in Matthew chapter 27, verse 52, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it says over there, and the graves were open, and many bodies arose. That's what it says. Many bodies of the saints which slept arose. And you've got to remember, the body arose, so you've got to make the delineation there. The body is what sleeps. The soul never sleeps. There's no soul sleep at all. All right, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. He says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That means they're dead. That you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Now, the hope that uh, they have is in the resurrection of those that have already gone on before them. Their body is gone, but they're there with the Lord. And it's the hope of the appearing... Of Jesus Christ, we already covered in 1 Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses fifty-one to fifty-three. Uh, but it's the hope of your corruptible. This is your flesh putting on incorruption. Amen. And it's the hope of your mortality. Uh, that means uh, your life putting on immortality. And of course, uh, Titus chapter two talks about the hope that's in you and the hope of, of being resurrected by Jesus Christ. And over there in 1 John, if you have that hope, it causes you to live a pure and holy life. And uh, we've already been over the whole sanctification thing. The Spirit's sanctified the moment you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you've got to remember, your soul goes back and forth on that thing. Your soul is what makes a decision. And your body's never sanctified until the Lord comes back and gives you a new one. You see that thing? And uh, <clears throat> the only time your flesh will ever do right is when when you overpower it. Think about it. Uh, it's kind of like the Jews being under subjection of Hitler. Uh, they only did right because they were overpowered. You see what I mean? And that's that's the, that's the type there. The only time your flesh will ever do right is when you overpower it. And you overpower it because your soul makes the decision to overpower it, and then you do right. And... Uh, <clears throat> But Paul says, after twenty seven years of being a saved man, he says, In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. There's no good thing in your flesh at all. <clears throat> but at any rate, look at 2 Corinthians 5 8. We just talked about that thing there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. We mentioned this earlier. It says uh, 2 Corinthians 5 8 We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now you know that if you are to die right now, your body would what? It'd hit the ground, right? Uh, and you uh, but something would be with the Lord, Paul says. 2 Corinthians 5.8, doesn't he say it? Yeah. Willing rather be absent from the body and present with the Lord. So if I drop dead of a heart attack, God help us all, that body's hitting the floor, but something's going north. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, my spirit is already there, seated together with him in heavenly places. That only leaves one thing left, right? That's the soul. So the body's here, slumped on the floor, you know, a couple of you are crying, and the soul is up with him. Amen. That's funny, you're supposed to laugh, all right? And uh, your soul's inside your body. I want you to see that. Your soul is not in heaven right now. Your spirit's seated together with Him in heavenly places. The moment you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, your spirit is which is what's born again. And you're immediately seated with Him in heavenly places. All right, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, he says, Wherefore we labor that, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. So presently, you're absent from Him. Your body and your soul are right here. Your spirit's up there now with Jesus Christ together in heavenly places, but you have that same spirit that's inside of you and that is the hope that you have. So in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, we don't sorrow as others that have no hope. Now look, if I was to lose my wife or lose my kids, I'm not saying that I wouldn't be sad and wouldn't cry my stinking eyeballs out, but I'm not going to sorrow in the sense that I'll never see them again. I'll sorrow and I'll... I'll be an absolute wreck down here for a while, but I know I'll see him again. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. And the hope that we have, our hope is in Jesus Christ, and that hope is one day you and I are getting out of here. Amen? And we're going to be just like him, and we're going to see loved ones that are saved that are just like him. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Just kind of breaking this thing down just systematically for a minute here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 18. The sleep that he's talking about is death. And he's given these uh, Thessalonians, he's given them some hope. <clears throat> All right, 1 uh, Corinthians 15, verse 18. The Bible says, Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. He's talking about their body perished, not their soul. You see that? Verse 19, If in this life only we have hope in Christ we are of all men most miserable. All right. So here, in other words, if all we have is living for Christ right now and working for Jesus Christ right now, and then boom, we die. And after that, there's nothing at all. Man, we're of all men most miserable. What a waste of our time. If there's no hope beyond the grave, can I ask you this? Why are we here? We ought to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And that's what Paul's saying. But but you know that's not true, and we, we know that there's a life after here, so you can't apply that thing. <clears throat> Look at verse 20. But now, and this whole thing's about the resurrection body now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 14, Jesus Christ. And verse 14, <clears throat> he says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. All right, so what happens here is there's a law. And the law is this uh, since God got Jesus Christ up, then God can get you up. That's the law. He got his son up, and he'll get you up. And a Christian should not sorrow as others uh, sorrow because they're saved and their hopes in heaven and their hopes in Jesus Christ and the appearing. <clears throat> Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 11 for a second here. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. All right, the Bible says here, look at verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life uh, because of righteousness, but if, the, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, all right? So if you've received him as your personal savior, then he does, doesn't he? He dwells inside of you. It says, then, he that raised up Christ from the dead, here's the law, shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. There you go. So the same, uh, same spirit that got Christ up will be the same spirit that will get you up And you don't need to be worried about being hauled out of the grave or not seeing your loved ones that are saved. And you have to remember is that, uh, can I say, you have never seen a Christian die. You've seen a Christian go to sleep. You know what I'm talking about? That sleep's death. But you've never seen a Christian die. You've only seen a Christian go to sleep. The old uh, old mountain, the Southerners, uh, sang that song, uh, Where the Soul Never Dies. That's a good song. To Canaan land, I'm on my way where the soul of man never dies. My darkest night will turn to day where the soul of man never dies. No sad farewells, no tear dimmed dies. Where all is joy and love where the soul of man never dies. Of course, they do it. Where all is peace and joy and love. Amen. They go this. The rose is blooming there for me where the soul of man never dies. And I will spend eternity where the soul of man never dies. No sad farewells, no tear dimmed eyes. Where all is joy and love. Boy, ain't that the truth. Your soul never dies. It never sleeps. Your body sleeps. Your soul never dies. It never goes away. All right, notice this. Back in 1 Thessalonians 4.14, he says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, there's part of the gospel, ain't it? Right? There's a death and the burial and resurrection. Even so them also which sleep in Jesus. That phrase right there is what messes the Jehovah Witnesses up. That's where they get all screwed up. Your soul is not in Jesus right now. It's your spirit that's in Jesus Christ. You see that? And you got to get that. The JW say that the soul stays with the body. And then according to that Jehovah Witness, the body goes into the grave. And according to the Jehovah Witness, don't, don't believe me, check it out. According to the Jehovah Witness, the grave is hell. So then all Christians go to hell. <laughs> that's ridiculous. That's not even good teaching. <laughs> And that's not true at all. The whole thing doesn't make a lick of sense. He continues in verse 14, "...even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them." All right, so notice that they're with Him now presently. That individual that died to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, Remember what Paul said to Timothy? He said, the time of my departure is at hand. Think with me now. The Spirit's already there, right? That's what he said, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, seated together with him in heavenly places. He said, The time of my departure is at hand. What's he talking about? He's talking about his soul. Why? Because when Paul died and Nero chopped his head off, his head hit the floor and his body hit the floor. His body didn't go up there, his body went in the ground. You've got to remember that one of these days the Lord is going to play the most amazing trick on the devil you've ever seen because your body is like hid treasure. Your body is a treasure this treasure in earthen vessels the bible says and when lord comes back he's like a thief in the night and he steals all the devil's treasures out the earth so when he says the time of my departure is at hand what's he talking about the soul all right <clears throat> genesis chapter 35 verse 18 the bible says the soul is in departing you see that it's the soul that goes and uh, of course we know to depart and be with Christ is far better paul said So to depart from what? The body is what Paul is talking about. And that's what you and I need to know for you to live with Jesus Christ is great gain. And you're not present with Christ as it stands in your flesh or your soul. This part is not with Christ right now. It's down here. It's trapped. It's got a magnet on this earth, don't it? And your soul is in your body. It's in here. So when you die, think about it. When Jesus Christ died... uh, he commended his spirit to the Father, right? Absolutely. His body went in the tomb, right? So it was going back and forth from the third heaven. His soul—that's it. And when you die, th- think about it like this: when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're—you're uh, you're a body, soul, and spirit, aren't you? All right, you're a tripart individual. Your body, and you're a soul. And when you get saved, that operation is made without hands and it cuts your soul away from your flesh. Right? Am I not losing you, am I? And the spirit's up here with Jesus Christ. That thing is born again. That thing is in Christ. All right, now that's the saved individual. When you die, your body goes down into the ground, right? And your soul goes where? up, all right? So, if you're here without Jesus Christ, you have a body, you have a soul, and you have a spirit, right? But here's the thing about that body and that soul. They're connected together. See that? Looks like a donut, doesn't it? All right? So, when you die, where does the body go? It goes down here, doesn't it? But if you're not saved and your soul hasn't been cut away from your flesh, where does your soul go? It goes right down. You see that? It goes straight down. So there's the question. Have you been saved? You ever had that operation made without hands? A thing that cuts your spirit, uh, your soul away from your flesh? Because when this thing goes down, since it's cut away, it just goes back up there. And if it's not, it's going down. Going down. All right. <clears throat> Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And then the question comes immediately when someone's in heaven, uh, if they're with Jesus Christ, uh, says, what kind of body do they have? Say, Grandma died, and she went, uh, and she's with Jesus. All right, you were there. You were at the funeral, and, you know, she was saved, and she loved the Lord. and uh, She had a personal testimony that she received Jesus Christ as her Savior. You say, well, what kind of body does Grandma have? Don't, have, don't, don't know for sure, but look what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1 Paul says for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved that's death right we have a building of God a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens for in this we groan that's in our flesh earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven verse 3 if so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked for we that are in this tabernacle, that's your flesh, do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. So it looks like there's some temporary body that, that they're given till the time that Christ redeems their body. Amen. Remember, in First John chapter 3, when our body is redeemed, we get our glorified body. But it looks uh, through the scriptures that might just be some kind of temporary body that That were given. And those are the kind of things I can't tell you for sure. I'm not sure that any teacher can, but it looks like there's some kind of body that's made by God and you're clothed with that resurrected and new glorious body later on found in 1 John 3. Now come back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll try to find an unhitching spot here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. All right, he says in verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain of the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now, prevent here just means to go before. It also means that uh, you won't stop them from coming up. You won't precede them, and you won't stop them from coming up. 15 says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive. All right, so take Enoch, for example. He, uh, he's a type of that, right? He was a type of one that was alive and remained, remember? He walked with God, and he was not. For God took him. So he's a type and picture of that Christian that's taken up at the rapture. You see that? And then you got Moses. He's a, a type and picture of a Christian who's dead, dead in Christ. Remember he goes up the mountain there, and the Lord buries him. All right. So it doesn't matter if you're alive or dead. It is coming. That's what Paul is trying to teach him. It doesn't matter if you're alive. It doesn't matter if you're dead. If you believe in Jesus Christ and uh, you've trusted Him as your Savior, you're going to go up. And either way, you're getting out of here. And you've got to remember that. And, of course, they didn't have the Bible. They just had Paul as a preacher and as a teacher, and he's trying to comfort and teach these Thessalonians here. And, uh, but, uh, and he's trying to teach them and so they don't get nervous. Remember, they don't know anything about it. You ever stop and think about sometimes the best cure for insecurity is just a little bit of instruction on these matters? Here's ever stop and think about maybe you doubted your salvation for a while? Not sure why, but early in Christian life, and it wasn't until some preacher gave you some verses of assurance, all of a sudden you realize, hey, I can believe the Bible. Sometimes the best uh, thing for insecurity is just a little bit of instruction on the matter. You worry about whether or not you can get out in the deer blind, shoot a deer. Well, sometimes you just need to go practice a little bit, don't you? Get a little bit more confidence in your shot. And uh, that's all you need sometimes, and that gives you a, a firmer foundation to stand upon. Look at verse 16. Great verse. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So the first thing I want you to see is that the it's the Lord himself. The Lord doesn't send somebody to get you. He's coming back for you himself. Amen? You say, why? You're his bride. Would you send someone to get your bride? I would. I'd go get her myself. <laughs> so he says, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. he come get you himself. Amen? And he descends from heaven with a shout. And I'll just give you a couple things. We'll call it good tonight. But that shout, you know what that shout is? First of all, that shout, you're going to hear your own name. You're going to hear your own name. And you know what you're going to hear in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1? You mark this down. You're going to hear, come up hither. You're going to hear your own name. You say, how so? Look at John 10. I'll show you. And this is going to happen at the rapture of the church. John chapter 10. When that shout happens, you're going to hear your own name, and then you're going to hear come up hither. Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 2, but he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Verse 3, to him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and what? Leadeth them out. Isn't that a blessing? You ever stop and think when Jesus Christ came to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus had died, and he was in that tomb, and... She said, Lord, uh, lo, he stinketh. he'd been in the grave four days. You ever wonder why the Lord had to call his name? Because if the Lord had got that tomb and just said, come forth, everyone that was dead would have come forth. <laughs> he, had to, he called his name, Lazarus, come forth. And at the rapture church, you know what's going to happen? That shout's going to be your name. Jeremy Evans, uh, uh, come hither. Up we go. Just like that. You're going to hear your name and come up hither. You say, I don't believe it. I don't care. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> I have to believe it. You're going up one way or the other if you're saved. And Revelation chapter four, verse one, he says, to John come up hither?" Hither, and John, of course, is a type and picture of the church of the Bride of Christ. Amen. And uh, you can also you also have to remember that that shout can also be equated with the trumpet. And we'll pick that up next time we're together. There's a lot more in there. I want you to see that there and. First Thessalonians chapter four, sixteen. Listen, the thing so far is if you're saved, you trusted Jesus Christ your Savior. This is what you want to remember. Whether you're alive or dead, when he comes back for the church, you're going up. Amen. And you can take some comfort in that thing. At the end of that verse, a little premature, it says, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. And if you're saved, he ain't gonna leave you here. Amen. You're gonna get out of here. All right, why don't you stand?